Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a driver reach and freight waves production. I'm Leah Shaver, president and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. In Jeremy's absence, I am excited to be your guest host. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you are using to listen. Today, I am so excited to welcome Julia Pollack, Chief, Chief Economist at ZipRecruiter. Julia, it is very, very good to have you join us on Taking the Higher Road. Thank you so much, Leah. I'm looking forward to our conversation and, of course, hearing your insights into the labor market and sharing them with our listeners. I'm, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited to join you. My plan for our very short time together is to learn about you and ZipRecruiter, to understand the trends that you look at and evaluate in the employment landscape, to talk about movement impacting the labor market, and of course, to tie it all into what our listeners do every day, work to recruit and retain professional truck drivers. So let's get started. Much of our audience is likely familiar with ZipRecruiter and likely even uses your company as part of their job marketing programs. But give us ZipRecruiter at a glance. What does your company do? So ZipRecruiter is an online employment marketplace that actively connects businesses and job seekers. And we founded ZipRecruiter to simplify the job search process, both for employers and for job seekers. Um, you know, unlike traditional online job sites, ZipRecruiter tries to act like a matchmaker, curating job opportunities for job seekers and curating candidates for employers. And we have, you know, this sort of treasure trove of, of data. You know, since our founding, we have con uh, connected more than 3 million businesses and more than 100 million job seekers. Wow. Well, simple and curated sounds good, but I'm guessing that does not apply to your job. So let's talk about your role. Why does ZipRecruiter need a chief economist and what does your day-to-day -day look like? Sure. So I use data from the ZipRecruiter marketplace to measure the health of the labor market uh, and also to identify hiring trends and then to communicate those insights both through the press and directly to job seekers and employers uh, to help them prepare for the future of work and to you know, figure out how to succeed in this labor market. Well, you mentioned data, which uh, since, since my company works in data, data, day, and um, say that three times fast, by the way. Um, but, but I think that data is, is almost like a, um, a hot keyword that has really become very popular since, um, since the COVID economy really has launched. So what types of data do you look at in your job? What do you analyze internally from that ZipRecruiter information? And then what do you, what do you generate exactly? Um, not only from that ZipRecruiter data, but from external data points, I would imagine. Sure. I mean, so like every economist who's gone to work at a tech company, you know, I've spent the first few weeks completely astounded by how much data we generate all the time. Um, you know, what, what kind of data we have? We have resumes, profiles, job seeker activity data, searches, clicks. We've got job postings and uh, job postings include a wealth of data on you know, job titles and how much money is being offered and what bonuses and perks are being offered. Um, what other kinds of words are, are there, like schedule flexibility, et cetera. 
we have data on marketplace interactions, on job seekers applying to employers, employers getting back to them. We have the text of job applications. We have uh, some, you know, we have some signals on completed hires. And then we have a whole host of employer signals, like um, you know how happy employers are with the candidates they're seeing. Do they give them a thumbs up, for example? Uh, there, there are many, many benefits to our data. Obviously, we look at uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics and Census Bureau data all the time to see what's going on you know, at a higher level in the economy. Well, it sounds like a lot of data. So of all of that data, what is the most important to you, Julia, right now? What are the most compelling trends in the data sets that you track? And what really catches your attention and focus right now? So there are a couple of things that I think are remarkable right now. Uh, one is how much faster this labor market is operating than in the past. Uh, so right now, companies are seeing about 20% more of their employees quit each month. They're doing about 15% more hiring each month uh, than was normal during, before the pandemic. Um, another interesting fact is this huge shift towards remote work. So uh, in many industries, companies are still shifting towards making more and more of their roles remote, and it's enormously attractive to job seekers. So about 60% of job seekers at any time on ZipRecruiter say they would prefer to find a remote job. And that's interesting because only about 12% of job postings offer remote work. And even if every job that could be remote in the economy were remote, that would only be about 37%. So the vast majority of jobs need to be done in person. They're on the road, in the hospital, in the school. Um, but workers increasingly are, are holding out and trying to find jobs that give them more flexibility about where and when they work. It's interesting. This is um, not in the list of questions that I provided you, but I'll ask, since you mentioned remote work and not only are workers waiting for it, it sounds like, but uh, more and more companies are considering it. I, I heard another um, consultant in our industry mention that he thinks that remote work is going away and um, that, that really folks are going to put a lot of pressure on getting back into the office. Any quick thoughts on that? Sure. So I mean, I, we divide the economy into like four different categories. There is a part of the economy where remote work never took off. It has no way to, to you know, enter that part of the, the economy. Jobs must be done in person, you know, passenger transport, air travel. There's no way those jobs can be remote. There's another part of the economy where people went remote reluctantly because of lockdowns and, and government rules. And there were places where remote work really wasn't appropriate, like public schools. And their remote work is going into reverse quickly, thankfully, uh, and people are getting back in person. There's another part of the economy where remote work has plateaued. It's just, you know, the, the pandemic gave it a big jolt. It got a big boost, but it's not growing. And then there's still a large part of the economy where remote work is still growing. Uh, in law, science, government, et cetera, uh, we see more and more postings every month that are remote. So it's still a growing trend in parts of the economy. Good. Well, glad to hear you are tracking it. Uh, <laughs> now, um, hosting, taking the higher road is not my primary gig. In fact, I'm, I'm here as a volunteer. My heavy <laughs> work is coaching motor carriers and fleets on, among other things, the factors that influence driver compensation. So to name a few, that would include driver supply, the demand for trucking capacity, driver turnover, and of course, as the ultimate gatekeeper, freight rates. 
So to that end, you released a very compelling analysis this summer about current dynamics of labor supply and demand in our economy. Your conclusion was that for the first time, the U.S. economy has exhausted its supply of workers. Before I ask you about the trucking element of your report, let's just talk about that analysis. How did you determine that the labor market had effectively run out of workers? And what are the implications of that? So 2022 was the first year on record that the demand for labor fully caught up to supply. And that's if you measure demand for workers as the current employment level plus job openings. And if you measure supply as everyone in the labor force plus people on the sidelines of the labor force who are not actively looking for work right now, but who say they want a job now. Uh, Usually there are millions more people in that group than there are job opportunities available. And that changed this year with those lines crossing over for the first time. By many other measures of labor market tightness, this is an unusually tight labor market. So on average, before the pandemic, there were 2.4 unemployed workers for every un- for every job opening. And since the pandemic, it's been more like a half or two thirds of an unemployed person per job opening. And so companies are basically fighting over half a worker. Well, in that same report, you pointed specifically to trucking and warehousing as sectors where the labor supply and demand imbalance is particularly pronounced. In a recent episode of Taking the Higher Road with Career Now Brands as my guest, we talked about similar themes with regard to the surge in available jobs in warehousing now, but also in the years ahead. Just last month, Business Insider published an article titled How America's Warehousing Boom Devoured America's Workhouse. So Julia, walk us through your thoughts on all of this. What's influencing that boom in warehousing and jobs? Is it e-commerce? Is it consumer expectations? Companies remapping their supply chains? The so-called Amazon effect? What are your thoughts? So I think you have three big uh, trends that are driving the huge number of vacancies for truck drivers and warehousing workers. Number one is the pandemic-induced sort of 10 to 20-year acceleration in e-commerce. Number two is a pandemic-induced destruction of small retail businesses. And number three is a 50-year acceleration in the adoption of remote work. And so uh, while you've had this huge increase in demand for trucking and warehousing workers, you've also had a migration of workers away from those kinds of roles into more flexible and more remote jobs. All right. In any event, let's pivot to the industry near and dear to our hearts at NTI and, of course, at Taking the Higher Road, which is trucking. What stuck out to you in your analysis this summer as far as um, demand imbalance in trucking and why did you reference it specifically? So trucking has fascinated me for a long time because uh, ever since I have been in this job, it's been the industry sort of adding the largest number of job postings each year. So it has the fastest growth in job postings. It is also the industry with the greatest mismatch between supply and demand. It's the industry with the highest share of jobs offering signing bonuses. Uh, so it's an industry where employers are aggressively recruiting talent and pulling out all the stops. And then it's also a really interesting and nuanced industry where perhaps you know so, so many of the challenges uh, are not immediately apparent. So 
One challenge is that this is an industry where uh, the attractiveness of jobs, the lucrativeness of jobs is very, very sensitive to economic conditions. So when economic conditions deteriorate, um, the biggest complaint among truckers is that they can then only get sort of one leg of their journey covered, but it's very hard to find, you know, cargo to to take back in the opposite direction. And so they end up having to drive uh, certain legs, you know, uncovered, unpaid. Um, that is a major, major problem. And so while in other industries, slackening economic conditions lead to an easier time hiring, an easier hiring climate, that's not necessarily the case in trucking where the jobs become less attractive. And then, you know, there are other uh, conundrums in this industry uh, that, that I just find fascinating. So, for example, there's a huge shortage of drivers with hazmat endorsement, despite the fact that those drivers are offered so much more, um, so much more pay. And when you survey drivers and ask them what's going on, you know, don't you want more money in your pocket? Uh, they say, well, if I get that endorsement, I'm going to be stopped by the police so much more often on my drive, and I will have a higher risk of getting a fine. And so I just don't want the hassle. And so there are all kinds of other factors that one has to take into account in this labor market um, than I think uh, you know, meets the eye right away. You really need to sort of dig in to the survey data, the, the chat room data between truck drivers. What are people talking about to know what's going on and to figure out how to overcome the staffing uh, you know, challenges? Sure. It's very interesting because you you mentioned, uh, you know, the the highest sought after drivers, the hardest ones to get and um, openly, it sounds like from their perspective as well. Um, some of the jobs where the the benefit doesn't for their for their from their perspective, outweigh the risk, um, a common challenge in our industry. Well, it's time for our deeper dive question, Julia, where we take a uh, one one in from our, our audience. And this one seemed perfectly aligned with your interests. You've mentioned in a few of your blog pieces in ZipRecruiter that the participation rate among women in the workforce still lags where analysts expected it to be. So why is that the case? What can employers do to alleviate the issues that are keeping women from returning to pre-pandemic participation rates? So, you know, the, my favorite economist is Claudia Golden, who has focused uh, on understanding the gender pay gap and understanding uh, sort of women work in the family. And what she has found is sort of the number one driver of differences uh, between women's and men's sort of employment outcomes is flexibility. Uh, that most jobs in the economy that pay best, that give the most uh, sort of career growth potential are hungry jobs, jobs where the employer not only wants a lot of your time, but also wants to be able to kind of, you know, send you on a trip uh, overnight or for the week um, and, and, you know, wants you to be kind of on call and available all the time. And those kinds of jobs are just less attractive to women because we do still live in a society where, you know, for whatever reason, preferences or culture or whatever it is, biology, um, you know, women do shoulder the uh, sort of the uh, the bulk of, of child rearing responsibilities. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the number one 
uh, change within an industry that leads to more representation and more advancement of women is increased flexibility. And we are seeing now, since the pandemic, a huge embrace of flexibility in certain uh, industries, like law firms, for example, where you were expected to be in the office, you know, from seven in the morning till 8pm and to do your, uh, your, your laundry there and have your dinner there and go to the gym inside the building. Um, many of those kinds of uh, businesses are becoming a lot more flexible. And that is uh, leading to like this mini baby boom that we're seeing, right? It's it's less costly for women to have babies right now. For the, It's less costly for, to their careers. Uh, it's easier to, to interview for a job while pregnant with nobody knowing what, what on earth is below here in the, in the screen. Um, so there are, there are parts of the economy where I think we will see women's participation and uh, advancement uh, accelerate as a result of the pandemic. There are other parts of the economy where I think that'll be harder to achieve just because of the nature of the job. And so, yes, while um, uh, you know local delivery is you know is is quite attractive to parents, long haul delivery jobs are much less so. And so, that's a part of the industry where we're not likely to see as much change as quickly. And also the barrier for new entrants to get into those jobs is a lot lower in terms of the um, the opportunity where travel is required as opposed to the the opportunity where you can be home every night. It's exactly. interesting as two new two new working moms having <laughs> this conversation, but um, what I heard over and over is that flexibility is key um, in terms of of getting more women back into the uh, the, the workplace. It's the number one thing, you know, I mean, of course, in, especially in, in industries like trucking, there are other issues too, right? Like the safety of pit stops. I mean, there, there's a whole host of issues when it comes to, uh, to, to the trucking industry and those kinds of changes will also take a lot of time, right? We're not going to see, you know, there's, um, there's partly a coordination problem. Uh, no single trip, tr- you know, trucking company is going to sort of suddenly build, you know, amazing, safe, wonderful hotels at every single, you know, pit stop. Um, th- there's no one who has kind of a direct incentive in, in, you know, doing that and transforming the industry in that way. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult problem to solve. You actually bring up a very important point, which is that there is no one solution for all of the the issues that we have, right? There is no one um, labor fix for every component that we're going to discuss today, and um, they are they are multifaceted. But ultimately, um, when I hear flexibility, there are a number of different ways that that can be implemented into the work life for a professional truck driver, whether male or female. But you know the one thing that I that I think of as being like a really flexible benefit, which is uh, childcare assistance. So sort of money that would help someone uh, deal with childcare issues uh, that they could use, say, to pay a nanny or a babysitter or whatever. That is one benefit that we see almost no increase in. So we've seen this surge in uh, increases of mentions of signing bonuses, of tuition assistance, of earned wage access or on-demand pay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But child care assistance is just one that is flat as a pancake for, you know, as long as you can imagine. 
yes, a, a data component that we've shared as well, and um, and also very important. Um, and I've I've mentioned several times, um, you know, compassion and empathy is something that really grows when you are in the postpartum period of life. And um, I think back to all of my years in human resources prior to to running my company. And I have to tell you, um, I have deep regrets of the lack of understanding of what new moms go through um, versus the expectation of, of what the company needs in a time that was, of course, much less flexible with regard to, to remote work. So um, very important components. And I, I love to hear, again, not just from our personal experience, but data back that uh, one benefit that's so key in terms of the, the folks that are working would be childcare assistance. We do have to move on to my next question, which is, um, we know now that the labor market is extremely tight um, and for trucking professionals specifically. So let's talk about solutions and how companies can meet the moments in these extraordinary times. What are the trends that decision makers and recruiting professionals need to be monitoring? What are strategies that they can be using to compete in a hyper-competitive labor market? And of course, we've identified a key one, which would be childcare assistance. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what we've seen since the pandemic unleashed this sort of unprecedented talent crisis is that human resources and talent acquisition have gained a spot in the boardroom like never before and have become central to management. Uh, companies are increasingly centralizing recruiting so that they can track things, become more data-driven, adopt best practices. Um, and so this is a key time, I think, for organizations to realize exactly how important this is, how key it is to uh, succeeding in business. Um, and then, of course, there are, you know, after that awakening and that realization, uh, companies have been taking certain steps to, to sort of improve their outcomes. Uh, one is to streamline their application processes and reduce time to hire. Uh, we've seen a huge share of companies get rid of uh, interviews entirely and get back to candidates, you know, within 25 minutes of receiving their applications online with an offer, a contingent offer right there on the spot. Um, that's been, I think, the biggest change over the past year that companies have decided, hey, you know, we can't we can't go on competing on pay. Um, there's a there's a limit to that being possible. We can't throw more signing bonuses at the problem, but we can offer more speed and convenience to our workers. Um, we're also seeing HR departments sort of adopt more of a sales and marketing mindset and invest in employer branding, sort of in developing the company's uh, sort of employment value proposition to workers and really leaning into that and asking workers what they want and figuring out how to give them uh, you know, what they want to the extent possible to make this job attractive to them. Uh, that has gone hand in hand with you know, increasing diversity and inclusion uh, and then providing exactly the kinds of bonuses and perks that uh, that make the job attractive to exactly the sort of groups of workers most inclined to take these jobs. I I grin because all of those are um, extremely familiar to me and also very valuable. And um, one of the things we talk about in terms of of hiring drivers is speed. Um, in the recruiting world, we often call it speed to lead. And um, as you mentioned, oftentimes the, the first one to the finish line is as actually who wins. In fact, 
um, during all of my years interviewing drivers, they would often say the reason they chose the company is they, that we were the first to offer them the opportunity as they had many in front of them. So, um, but all of your points there were extremely valuable. And the first to pay is key as well. I mean, I think this, this increase in like the adoption of, of on-demand pay is a huge one. Uh, it's becoming sort of table stakes in, in certain industries. Uh, you know, workers are, you know, if, if many people in the, in the job market right now, more than half of job seekers on ZipRecruiter say that they already have received an offer. So people are juggling multiple offers and you're right. The first company to sign them and to pay them is the one where they're going to stay. Interesting detail there. Well, we talk a lot at my company about generational shifts in the labor market. At NTI, we view this ongoing shift as foundational components to why trucking companies and private fleets have to evaluate their recruiting and retention programs, and most importantly, instill changes to better connect and appeal with younger workers. The baby boomer generation has been a mainstay in the U.S. workforce for well over 40 years, but in the next decade, they're going to almost all but disappear from the labor market. At the other end of the cycle is Gen Z, whose expectations about their relationships with their employers and with work life in general is dramatically different. They will become one of the largest cohorts in the workforce over the next 10 years. How much of that generational shift has influenced what we're seeing today in the labor market? And what can companies do to navigate these changes in the years ahead? So trucking is an interesting industry uh, where you know men are overrepresented and where also the sort of median age of workers is relatively high. And we're uh, you know, right now in the labor market, older workers have left in very large numbers due to the pandemic. And despite initial sort of hopes that, that many would return, we're not seeing much of a return. Uh, then the longer term trend is one towards men, uh, young male labor force participation declining for whatever reason. Um, and of course, there are there are all kinds of additional barriers to employment in that group, including uh, you know, drugs and um, uh, sort of what are some of the other issues there? Um, you know, but many many of the the industries that that used to uh, hire uh, sort of young men without college degrees uh, have disappeared, and so many young men just feel like there's no point uh, to, to enter the labor force to begin with because uh, they can't find the kinds of attractive jobs that they want. And so we've seen this sort of steady decline in in labor force participation among working age men. And so the two kind of primary demographics that this industry used to tap into uh, are, are shrinking. Meanwhile, you know, the longer term trend is still one towards uh, women's participation increasing in the labor market. But this is not the most attractive uh, industry for women, typically. Uh, and so the industry has a challenge. I think that it faces a reckoning right now. How do you make the industry more attractive to women? How do you argue to young men that actually you know, th these can be good jobs with great opportunities? Um, and how do you uh, reach out to older workers who actually, you know, who were displaced during the pandemic and who didn't want to leave their jobs, who didn't want to retire yet, who actually would like to keep working? How do you reach out to them and say, 
offer to you know fund their training uh, so that retraining and reskilling isn't so much a bur- of a burden to them and they are uh, able to, to sort of come back. I think those, those are the big three challenges there. Excellent. I love a big three. Well, let's wrap up with this. What's next for recruiting and retention? Employers are clearly watching the economy with trepidation. Hiring is very strong. Labor participation has lagged where it was pre-pandemic. With all of those themes and everything that we've discussed, what does recruiting look like next year, specifically for the folks that are recruiting professional truck drivers? So I think especially you know, given uh, the aging population, this industry is one that will be supply constrained for the foreseeable future. And uh, it's one where slacker economic conditions aren't necessarily going to solve the hiring difficulties and where you really need to make an investment now in adopting best practices in recruiting and retaining talent. And those investments now will uh, will help you succeed in any environment. Uh, so you know, in this industry more than any, I would say uh, just waiting it out and hoping that things get better is not going to cut it. Uh, it, it, it's a very smart practice to, uh, you know, to, to make a big investment now in, in sort of doing every, every aspect of talent management the right way and the best way. Julia, you had many uh, times today where we all took notes. So thank you so much for joining us on Taking the Higher Road. We really appreciate your time and, of course, all of your fantastic insight. Thank you so much. Thanks to you for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those that appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.